0: Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania podcast. I'm AJ and I'm Gavin. Hello Gavin. How's it going? Uh pretty good. Can't complain. Uh how is your Friday? We are recording on our usual Friday time. It's funny though. We've been doing this thing where it's we record on Tuesdays, then we record on Fridays, then we record on Tuesdays, then we record on Fridays. So, uh I th- maybe not much is new, but what is new? <laughs>
1: Uh, I think it's been it's been a good week. A little sore this week. I had a visitor in town. Did a lot of training. Anybody who listened to the last podcast knows who that visitor was. And uh, spoiler alert, it was you.
0: Yes, I was about to say and, an, enthousi- uh, an enthusiastic Italian American martial arts nut.
1: And then uh, from there, uh, uh, Wednesday night, I played in a soccer game. So my calf calf muscles, upper quadrants of them are feeling like there's a knot knocking on the skin, trying to get out.
0: Yeah, it's uh, a lot that has to do with the jump rope I put you uh, through as well as a part of the strength training workout that we did down by uh, Gavin's pool at his apartment complex. There's a lot of jump rope in there. I know everyone's saying, well, strength training. Yeah, but I I do a lot of cardio even with my strength training. So I can imagine they are sore because even I get that way if it's been a minute since I've been, for example, training full-time, I'm always training, even when I'm on vacation, even when I'm on the road, and no matter what, I'm exercising one hour a day. And then on my Sunday rest days, it's usually, as I call it, like an active rest workout, like a real mellow, uh, like when we're in town, it's a mellow hot yoga class. Or if I'm, you know, we're out and about somewhere, it's a walk, right? But that being said, when I first step back into like full-time training, my calves can also cramp up occasionally. So it's just kind of being aware, definitely doing a lot of uh, downward dogs and pumping out the calf muscles is a good one for that. I mean, you can roll your calf muscles out too. And then, you know, using some sort of liniment or like, for example, Thai oil for like what Muay Thai guys use to help kind of just loosen it up and warm up the muscles or some white flour or something like that. Those oh, are my- white flour. I, lo- I love yeah, white flour. Yeah, white flour. Not easy to find. Uh, Amazon Prime has it now. Oh, okay. Well then, easy so, to find. So, it, uh, but you are correct. Like previously, it wasn't necessarily the easiest to find, but you can buy it on Prime now. So just lather up your calves with uh, some white flour and you'll be good to go. All right. Yeah, but- So how uh, are you doing? How's how's your week going? Week's going good. You know, it's uh, obviously a drove back. So we were pretty exhausted when we recorded on Tuesday uh, about the New Beverly screenings. I still think it came out to a pretty good episode. I've listened to most of it, but yeah, we were just exhausted, and not only that, as pretty much we had to record, and then I had like thirty minutes t- to do all the post production and get ready to go because we were initially going to go train with our sensei Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham and Herman Balthazar. We even talked to uh, our senpai. And we even talked about it in the episode, but then uh, our recording uh, app that we use—I won't use it by name—but <clears throat> uh, was pretty much glitching and so i couldn't get the episode ready we were exhausted and we're like you know what let's just call today because it would have taken us an hour and 20 minutes to drive to where kickboxing was yes that's la traffic for you uh, in the evening so i'm I'm, i think we made the right call because eventually the app did start working and i was able to get the episode ready and we just need the rest but the next day you know we woke up we went for our beach run That's, uh, you know, an obligation. Anytime I'm staying with Gavin, we've got to go for a beach run. Oh, and I should say, though, that instead of going to kickboxing, we went for uh, an hour walk on the beach. Yeah. So, but then the next morning, we went for our beach run, got our acai bowls from Cafe Collage. Then I drove up to Santa Clarita on my way home, trained with uh, Sugarfoot, had an amazing training session, went nice and long. I got to train with uh, Jesse, the... uh, uh, MMA pro MMA fighter. Yeah, there. Great. He's a great training partner. And then came back up, went to hot yoga with Jessica. As soon as I was back in town, I did just veg out for like an hour, drink some uh, Vietnamese coffee. I <laughs> need, uh, And then, yeah. And then yesterday was uh, back to the normal grind. And then today, same thing, normal grind. So yeah, but uh, the drive definitely, you know, takes a little bit out of you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no question about it. And then also, I mean, if you think about it, you're training and then I'm working. And then anytime you throw in, not a monkey wrench, but just kind of stretch the day as long as you can, it's not it's not an easy recovery when you're already going on max for the usual hours. So when that, that new Beverly, worth every minute of it, uh, if folks want to hear what we're talking about, you can go check out our last episode. And while you're at it, subscribe and like and download. But- nice um yeah it was the recovery i'm fully recovered now except like like i said higher higher calf tightness but uh yeah it was a great time great week and uh we've already got the next one uh, scheduled well technically
0: i'll be down again next week so yeah. uh, i've got some uh, work i'm doing some actual paid gigs you could say courtesy of my man gavin kelly
1: Oh, I know that guy. He's pretty good.
0: He's pretty good. So, yeah, I'll be back down again next week. But we already have our next New Beverly screening in the books. So, and it's funny because I didn't see the trailer drop or anything. And I feel like the schedule dropped pretty early. Normally... It did. The trailer drops, like, what would be around the 20th of the month. And then the schedule, like, mid, like, 25th, 26th. I don't know, but... It's funny. I saw it on this new Facebook group I just joined. Uh, it's like a Hong Kong cinema appreciation society. Someone posted on there. And I was like, what? They already have the schedule out? And yeah, so we're going to be going to a double, uh, not martial arts screening, but pretty much kind of like Hong Kong gangster
1: film screening, a yeah. double one. So. Allegedly, since we uh, don't know, I've never seen the trailer for the second film. The
0: second film, I can't even find a trailer. Uh, So that would be Edge of Darkness, I think. Yeah, so it's two films, two Hong Kong films. The second one, as we mentioned, is Edge of Darkness. Uh, The first one uh, is, well, I can't think of the name of it right now. Hold on, let's see. I got it pulled up right here. It feels like it starts with a B. It is The Big Heat. Excellent. And not to be confused. So both of these films are also the names of other films. And it could get a little confusing, even when Gavin and I are talking to each other about it. But uh, Edge of Darkness is the one that really intrigues me because it's directed by Fung Hark On, of all people. And then it star it, like co-stars John Shum the mm-hmm. comedian activist, and then Chin Su Ho. So I, I, maybe that one does have martial arts in it. I don't know. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it, though, because I love just Hong Kong cinema in general, not just martial arts. cinema. I love the way uh, even the gangster films or cop films or dramas, melodramas are shot uh, because, you know, I I've just always loved even the aesthetic of Hong Kong, the beauty of it. As I said, every time I go there, even if I'm hanging with friends and it's like, oh, you know, I've got to go to work for the next five hours and if I have nothing to do, I have something to do because I can just get off the MTR somewhere, the Metro, and
1: just walk around. It's it's that cool. I right, I like yeah, it's uh I don't know. It's it's a special place, special time, and these films kind of capture it. Exactly.
0: Exactly, my man. So Once again, like when we were recording before after the Tuesday, Friday, don't really have any new martial arts movie news since our last recording. Uh, Not that I can think of. There's been some announcements of some Blu-ray releases. Uh, She Shoots Straight is, Quincelline Up is getting that Blu-ray release through Eureka, I believe. Uh, There may have been a few others. I'm not sure. But otherwise, yeah, nothing new to report in the last two or three days. Anything on your end? No, nothing on my end. Yeah. I mean, I might have a movie quote for you. Oh, well, we'll have to get to that here in a second. I will say, though, I was watching. uh, So one championship, you know, MMA, Muay Thai, everything. They do a lot of. uh, So their deal is with. Amazon Prime. So when it's a big event, it's live on Friday nights. But they do a lot of these events from Lumpini Stadium in Bangkok, which for people that don't know, Lumpini is the most famous like Muay Thai Stadium. It's not the original one. The original one, I believe, was torn down. And this is the new one. But so there are these live fights that will begin at like five in the morning, West Coast time, uh, American West Coast time. So I caught uh, like two this morning as I woke up to, uh, get ready before my Muay Thai training. And in one of them, it was this battle. It was a Thai fighter versus a fighter from Spain. And it was just such a back and forth close fight that they both got a nice little, uh, bonus, uh, of about 10,000 us, which is, significant, but they they say it in bot when it's the, when they're fighting Lumpini, when it's the one championship Friday nights, they'll say like, you get a $50,000 bonus. But in this one, it's like a hundred thousand bot bonus. But the reason I bring it up is just because they go to the Spanish fighter afterwards, you know, so they have a, I love their Thai translator. They have for the Lumpini fights too. The guy's really enthusiastic and you feel like he's doing a really good job translating. I've had some grievances when it comes to other events in the past, with uh, And even like in in China sometimes where I feel like the the translators aren't necessarily up to par. Uh, but I love this translator they have. So anyways, they have the first Thai guy, right? And then they actually go and interview the Spanish fighter, which they don't normally interview the loser. And I'm like, okay, he's going to get the bonus too because it's such a close fight. And so uh, Mitch, uh, the, the announcer, asks him a question. And obviously the Thai guy translates it for the Thai crowd. But then they hand the mic to the Spanish fighter and he starts speaking fluent Thai. Oh, And the crowd goes crazy. And I'm not talking kind of like chicken-ish, you know, like little bits in here. I can say comfortably that his Thai is probably a lot better than my Mandarin. Like he was just, because the audience went crazy and he was, you know, needed no, I don't even know if he speaks English. Maybe he only speaks Spanish and Thai. But uh, I just thought that was really cool. And that was definitely a cool fight, man. It was brutal back and forth. And the funny part is of the, I want to say I watched three rounds of the fight because it was only three rounds. So I caught the rounds two and three. I only saw like two kicks be, uh, being thrown. It was all elbows, punches, clench, knees. Elbows, punches, clench, knees. And I even said to Jessica, because she was getting ready for work, I was like, wow, are they even going to throw a kick? And that's when the guy threw one kick. Then I thought I saw one teep after that, and that was it. But it was elbows, clench, knees. So it was a really good fight, and I was very impressed by the Spanish fighter's uh, Thai-speaking abilities. Oh, that's great. Yes. So, movie quotes. You got some for me today?
1: Yes, I, I have one for you.
0: <laughs> okay why oh god this can't go th- this isn't it is it this isn't the real no, one. you
1: overheard i was gonna do the whole monologue for you though
0: yeah <sighs> okay let's start let's rewind in fact you know what'd be great is if we had a time machine and then i could go back and we can fix this so let's pretend we just got in to our time machine let's rewind blah, 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 blah. Okay, my friend. So, you've got a quote for me today.
1: I do. I think this one's going to be really good. Excellent. Let's hear it. Okay, here we go. So, I'll do it in the character's voice. Why? Jessica, why? 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 Didn't I give you everything you wanted? Mr. Scott, what did I tell you would happen? (laughs) Didn't I tell you, Rick? Didn't I tell you?
0: Okay, I'm glad you didn't go into the uh, full yes, graphic I ask, details. I omitted. Yes, that, that was that was a smart move. Uh, I'm going to say it's fight to the death.
1: Wow. Yeah. Which is now available on Tubi. Yes. Which you, uh, you don't need to put it on your list or watch it.
0: So when Gavin and I are hanging out in person, we, we just randomly throw on Tubi. Most of the time, we throw on what we like to call our Kung Fu comfort films. As Jokingly, we've watched Breathing Fire like 27 times together. Uh, But we decided to try this John Barrett film. For those of you who don't know, he made a couple movies in the 90s, including American Kickboxer 1, which I enjoy uh, a lot. I think it has some hidden great little fight scenes in there with Keith Vitale. Uh, And he's a phenomenal martial artist and stuff. But this film, Fight to the Death... I've attempted to watch it one other time I I was telling Gavin I only got like five minutes into it because I was really uh, perturbed or bothered
1: by the sound effects. They were really bad. Really, like if the camera sweeps and there's a lot of sweeping camera and there is one good training sequence where the camera just keeps trucking around um, um, Mike Barrett while he's doing his uh, training sequence or Rick Scott. Uh, But uh, yeah, when the camera trucks, it goes, (laughs) (laughs) and it's going back and forth it's almost like trying to be something out of swingers or a tarantino film like reservoir dogs with the cameras following and they're doing an added sound effect to let us know that the camera is panning from left to right right to left
0: yeah so pretty much we got a little ways into it and i'm like this is atrocious but we did notice that the villain was quite over the top even by B movie standards, and then later, Gavin, Gavin kept watching it, I guess, and sends us this monologue from the scene, and that was very much the PG version that Gavin said. But the the acting is it, it's definitely a conscious choice by that actor. No, he, he's, he's staring over the top.
1: into a mirror at himself, so right. it's not like it's not as if he doesn't have instant feedback. He knows what he's doing, and I think he enjoys. Uh, the choices he made in this scene. And you know what? I don't remember anything of the film except for
0: his monologue. If I had to guess, I'd say he's probably a classically trained, like really good actor. And the fact that he was doing this movie just for a paycheck, and he probably thought, I'm going to have some fun and do whatever the heck I want. Because that's the vibe you're getting. You're not getting the vibe of somebody that thinks they're actually doing a good dramatic performance. You get the feeling that this guy is Purposely going over the top, yes, just because he can, and maybe he assumes nobody will ever see this movie. Well, jokes on you, buddy. To be <laughs> has allowed all the tens of us to watch you.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> if you ha- if you have time to spare and you want to watch some great over the top acting that that doesn't click, this is the one for you. I like
0: that doesn't click, but anywho. Are we ready to talk about the film we are discussing today?
1: Yes, we are discussing okay, today. Okay, that's what I was asking. I oh, was like, yeah, oh, oh, you're What are we
0: discussing No, We're I discuss. said, are you ready? Oh, yeah, no, I gave you the thumbs up. Oh, I didn't see the thumbs up. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so today we well, are maybe talking. Maybe we should take
1: a time machine back yeah. and redo this part.
0: I don't know. There might be uh, people that police that. Maybe we're using it too much, uh-huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, anywho, today we are talking about the 1994 American sci-fi action classic, in my opinion, Time Cop, directed by Peter—how do you pronounce his last name? Himes or— I'm going to go with Himes. Yeah, that's what I think. So directed by Peter Himes, uh, based off of a comic book. I believe it's a Dark Horse comic book uh, and starring the one and only Jean-Claude Van Damme and featuring Ron Silver and probably my favorite role of his just because I love this movie.
1: You know, uh, if you haven't seen this film, you actually don't know the depth of his subtle acting because he is fantastic right so we have ron silver as our villain
0: we've got mia sarah uh, as our love interest uh, or the wife of the jean-claude van damme character who most people will probably remember from ferris bueller's day off and i think she gives a great subtle but also powerful performance at certain points and then also one of my all-time favorite character actors bruce mcgill and we get to see him in a good guy role in which he stays a good guy the whole time. So that's that's a nice change of pace. And then you'll see a few other familiar faces in there, uh, you know, some stunt guys. Uh, we, I mean, James Liu pops up in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Time Cop. Now, this is actually Jean-Claude Van Damme's biggest grossing film of all time when we're talking standalone movie, like of his, not, you know, his, for example, being in The Expendables 2 and so forth. And I think... As far as his films go, maybe this is the most underrated and undermentioned because if you enjoy 90s action movies, and I am saying 90s specifically because uh, this one does not really fall into the category of 80s style. Like, you know, you go to some of his other 90s work like Lionheart and stuff, you can call that kind of 80s inspired, but Time Cop definitely has that stamp of being a 90s action sci-fi movie, you know, I'm talking in the same vein as The Rock or Con Air, uh, Bad Boys, you know, these films of that nature that kind of have that 90s unique aesthetic and look and production value slick. If you like those films or you grew up watching those, you will definitely love Time Cop, whether you're a Jean-Claude Van Damme fan or not. And yes, right out the gate, let's just state that as far as time travel as a science. This film perhaps does not get it 100%. But guess what? Time travel isn't a 100% science in itself, right? Nobody can like prove or disprove how things would work. But yes, based off of the science and what is known about the theories of time travel, it plays fast and loose with uh, the technical aspects, I guess, of it. But at the same time, does a good job of creating a thrilling plot line that sticks with the time travel element. And as long as you're not going in there looking for plot holes, you're going to have a good time. Now, the only reason for me, having watched it now twice, obviously, and uh, getting ready to discuss this, yes, you catch a few things or you start to think about a few more things. You're like, huh. But I remember when I first saw this as a kid, being actually quite impressed by the time travel element of the plot. And I thought they did a great job interconnecting it all and interweaving it. Now, is it of the same caliber as, say, Back to the Future? Maybe just below that, in my opinion. But the main thing you're going to run into is the concept or the idea of timelines and how jumping back and forth how would you return back to the same timeline? This is based off of more like real time travel theory, right? So this isn't Christopher Nolan, all right? We're not getting an interstellar type movie. This is Time Cop. So they play, a, they play a little fast and loose with the quote unquote science of it. But if you can suspend your disbelief for a little bit and just go into this wanting a fun action science fiction film, you are going to
1: have a hell of a time. Completely fair. I agree 100%. Uh, And what's unique about Jean-Claude Van Damme and Time Cop and the time around Time Cop's release, he has nothing but hit after hit, year after year. If uh, if my time frame is correct, uh, he has Hard Target, then he has Time Cop, then he has Sudden Death. Back to back to back. There might be other films that were released in between, but time year wise. Street Fighter. Street Fighter was in there. But within within the time frame of one year, I think it was 93, then 94, 95, or 92, 93, 94. Um uh, what we get when we have an action star working with, with a particular director or directors, we see the height of their capabilities. And obviously we've talked about Hard Target with John Wu, and Sudden Death and Time Cop are both Peter Hames. So- So, uh, Wait, are we going to say Hames or Himes? Himes. Okay. Himes, Himes. Okay. Peter Himes. I just want to make sure
0: I'm not saying it wrong. So, okay, Peter Himes.
1: Peter Himes, yeah. So uh, I think what we end up, well, what we see- and we've seen this with other action stars. We saw Chuck Norris working with Andrew Davis and right. creating one of Chuck Norris's greatest films, if not one of the toughest urban U.S. martial art cop films ever with uh, Code of Silence. Uh, obviously, something else that could compete with that would be Above the Law, directed by Andrew Davis with Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal's other standout film, he had a couple of great ones in between these, is Under Siege with Andrew Davis. What I'm saying long circling back long circle back uh, Peter Hames is for Himes what are we saying?
0: Himes is what Himes, we've Peter Himes hi
1: I'm Peter Himes Peter Himes is in many ways the Andrew Davis for mm. Jean-Claude Van Damme and these would be, in my opinion, and Time cop specifically would be his standout film. And that is saying a lot, but his standout blockbuster 90s film had it not been for him also working with John Woo. But as far as accessibility for a, for a fan, as you mentioned, of Jean-Claude Van Damme or of martial arts or of sci-fi or not, this is a film that's completely accessible uh, for a film that holds up over time. Sure, there might be some weird time travel issues, but you know what? Suspension of disbelief. And every time they travel back in time, it's fun. And every time they travel forward back to the future, it's fun. And, so, and I'll
0: say this it's not by any means, and I feel like critically it got, uh, you know, some critics being like overly harsh. It is not by any means the worst to ever uh, uh, tackle the time travel plot element. Far from no, it. I think, not at all. as I said, when I saw it as a kid, didn't even think twice about some of the stuff, because guess what? As I said, it follows kind of a similar style to Back to the Future. I just feel like maybe, quote unquote, Back to the Future did it slightly better. But even when you start to ta- uh, attack some of the, quote unquote, plot holes of the time travel element of Time Cop, those same criticisms
1: can be applied to Back to the Future when you think about it. Absolutely. When it, and when are going put- to put timelines and stuff. And to compare Time Cop, the fact is you can compare Time Cop to Back to the Future, not just because of the time elements, but because of the great production value. But if you're gonna compare Time Cop to say Back to the Future three, you're gonna watch Time Cop instead. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> uh and, and so, you know, again, like going back to going back to the director who was also a cinematographer for a period, uh he created he knew how to shoot the lines of Jean-Claude Van Damme because we've had a lot of films that we've talked about this before where directors and cinematographers and editors might not capture the star doing what we want to see on film we might not see the geometric lines that we want to see in film but we see it in time cup specifically because of because of his peter heims eyes Yes, very good. And it's
0: interesting, in doing research for this, I didn't realize how perfectly suited Peter Himes was to shoot this film. When you look at his filmography, he pretty -hmm. pretty much made, not exclusively, but predominantly, like 90% of his library of work as a director was science fiction and thrillers, and or both. Yes. Uh, I mean, he made one of the most popular ones of the 70s. In the, not necessarily box office-wise, but Capricorn 1, which was a thriller, I would say science fiction in a sense, but not really, but like, you know, thriller film. He did Outland with Sean Connery, mm-hmm. another science fiction thriller one. Uh, he did the uh, 2010, the sequel to a Space Odyssey, obviously science fiction. He did The Presidio with Sean Connery, which is definitely a thriller, a political Wonderful thriller. Film. Yeah uh yep. narrow margin another yes. action thriller
1: film i love that film by the way i'm a huge fan of the original narrow margin but there's there's something about that is about peter Himes that heims that is very uh big and clean and crisp and fluid it's it's everything we got from the late nineties Jackie Chan films in a way Mm. as well. Just this, you can see his influence essentially starting rooted in the seventies and his influence where he got his influence is probably from Walter Hill or Sam Peckinpah. You, you have this, this lineage, uh, a a director who carried the torch of high caliber thriller filmmaking.
0: Excellent. I love that. And I would say, uh, I lost my train of thought there for a second. I cut you off
1: on Narrow Margin. Oh,
0: that's okay. Uh, I was always just going to say, the thing that surprised me the most of his filmography was the fact that he directed Running Scared. So, and as many listeners may or may not know, Running Scared, buddy action cop film from the Mm -hmm. 80s with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines, but was also the inspiration slash the film that Samuel Hungry made as Skinny Tiger Fatty Dragon. There so, you go. I guess in turn, I have to thank Peter Himes for paving the way for one of
1: my all time favorite Hong Kong martial arts films. So, there well, that, we go. You know, that's, that's, I I overlooked that when I was looking at his filmography. I didn't even think about that film, but it is essentially. It is semi-credited as one of the early buddy cop films. I know a lot of people say the original is supposed to be the Kurosawa's uh Stray Dog film, but that comes across more of a drama rather than a buddy cop film. Um but uh what I was also going to is what the other element that uh Sudden Death shares with the other stan- one of the other standout Jean-Claude films from uh from the 90s is the producer Sam Raimi. Ah, yep, yep. And, you know, Sam Raimi has a history of directing horror and producing horror and also thrillers and comedies. And what's really nice about this partnership of Jean-Claude Van Damme and Peter Himes and uh, Sam Raimi is you get this package that just feels very 90s but also timeless. I love it. And you know, right from the opening credits
0: that this is a 90s action film, just the musical score, the way the titles are, you know, and text come on the screen. You're like, okay, this is this is a a big budget 90s action film. I'm in for a good time. Now, uh, basic plot premise, cause we don't want to g- give away too much. And in order, we can't really go that deep into it without spoiler alert. So the basic premise is time travel has been successfully achieved. Obviously people are going to try to utilize it for nefarious reasons, most of them financial. So the government decides to establish an agency, the TEC time enforcement, uh, committee, right? Or I think that's what the C stands for. Uh, to enforce it and so the beginning of the film starts off with uh like the committee meeting to discuss this new agency it's going to be headed up by uh our character played by bruce mcgill uh uh, i'm trying to think what his name is right now hold on it is mccain uh no it's uh commander eugene matuzak there it is uh and then he's recruiting uh Washington DC police officer played by Jean-Claude Van Damme to join the unit Uh, and that's when we have the introduction to Jean-Claude Van Damme's character agent Max Walker and his wife uh, Melissa Walker played by Mia Sarah and in their pretty much introductory scene uh, they are attacked in their home and she is murdered And he is left by himself. And then the plot picks up 10 years later in 2004 when the TEC is well established. You know, the time travel is not pretty much nobody's supposed to be allowed to do it. But somehow people still pull it off. Uh, So they enforce time travel. And we get a shady senator played by Ron Silver, Senator Aaron McComb, who becomes the antagonist and uh, who starts to utilize time travel as a way to become, uh, to have more finances for a presidential run. And so they clash, and in turn, Agent Walker has to not only stop Senator McComb, but also eventually rectify the tragedy of his past at the same time. So that's just the basic premise. You know, we can't go into too much because then it's like spoiler alert. Because once again, like Peter Heim's previous films and his filmography, this is a thriller too, as much as it is a science fiction film. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, in fact, science fiction films may spend more time focusing on the quote unquote science or some of that kind of stuff. This one utilizes time travel as a tool to accentuate the
1: story, which is like an action thriller. No and go ahead. No, and, and it's it there this it's funny. This film came out in nineteen ninety-four. So we're talking essentially we're we're cusping on 30 years here since the film came out. But we don't want to give out spoiler alerts because guess what? We tried to talk about this film a few weeks ago or a few months ago. It's hard to get your hands on this film. For some reason, who owns the, you know, it's probably about who owns the rights. They did
0: a Blu-ray release, but it's a double Blu-ray release with Bloodsport with no special features. And I'm like, I'm not going to buy that. I'm going to wait until someone gives it a proper, like maybe Vinegar Syndrome would maybe eventually get the rights and do a proper.
1: And if if you're going to team it up with something, you'd team it up with Sudden Death. Same (laughs) director, same same lead. You wouldn't team it up with anything. You'd give it its own, unless there's a box set. Well, a box set, yeah. You wouldn't team it up with Double Team, that's for sure. The other Jean Claude Van Damme film from that era, but essentially, while we're talking about this film, it hasn't always been available for on and off for the last thirty years. So, if you if you haven't if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, you're not alone. It took me about ten years to see it for the third time, which was last week. Right, because I couldn't I couldn't get my hands on it for a while. So and
0: it is available on Tubi in case we didn't it is, mention that. Yes. Yeah.
1: Probably at least for this month, month of June, maybe into July. So after you listen to this, catch it and then maybe give us some feedback. But yeah. with that said, let's continue.
0: Yeah. So when was your first time watching this film?
1: That's a really good question. I feel like that period of unemployment that I've discussed after martial law. And before, so when martial law got canceled, uh, I worked on an independent film. And then there was a period of uh, maybe a couple of weeks where I wasn't sure if I was going to continue in the film industry, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. The 2020 video in Burbank uh, came into my world. And I was there renting five videos a night, trying to plow through as many movies as possible. I believe that's when I finally got my hands on Time Cup. So we're talking about somewhere between... 1999 and 2001, probably between 1999 and 2000.
0: So we saw it for the first time around the exact same time, because I can tell what you- What day did you see it? Yeah, on a Friday, I remember. So uh, it was the spring of 2000, because it was the end of my seventh grade year. I right. Mean, it wasn't summer yet, but it was the very end, and- as i've mentioned before my mom had very strict rules about me watching r-rated movies i wasn't allowed to unless they were on cable television like edited and stuff Mm -hmm. but at this point so keep in mind i'm now 13 i just turned 13 like a month before because if i recall it's probably around may so i just turned 13 so it's like i was finally given permission to watch r-rated movies on my own because my mom knew i was just trying to watch action movies not uh anything inappropriate. But boy, did she make a <laughs> a mistake with, uh, not a mistake, but let's just say in the same week, I watched Showdown in Little Tokyo for the first time on a Tuesday oh, night. Okay. And then I watched Time Cop on a Friday night. They were playing on Showtime, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it was definitely like premium movie channels. So Tuesday night, I watched Showdown Little Tokyo for the first time, which For those of you that don't know, there's a lot of nudity in that movie and a lot of sexuality in that movie. Then, that Friday night, I watched Time Cop for the first time. And yes, there is is one scene of what I would call mature cinematic sexuality between uh, Agent Walker, Max Walker, played by Jean-Claude Van Damme, and his wife, Mia Sarah. It's a very romantic love scene. It doesn't go on for too long, and it's done very appropriately. Like, it's, you know, it's... It's, uh, it, it, it's not distracting from the plot. It's just, you know, a, a short, like, lovemaking scene. It's it, there,
1: there's shadows, and it. it's yeah. it is part of late 80s, early 90s filmmaking in which there was a time period where Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Jean Claude oh, yeah. Van Damme, the you would see a lot of male buttocks. Yeah, and that this time. was,
0: I think, a lot of the times for the female audience. They definitely wanted to see that Jean Costner, Van Damme. Robin Hood, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. Mel Gibson,
0: uh, Lethal weapon three even, you know, like
1: uh, Stallone a- and the specialist.
0: yeah, excellent. Wow. you know your male butt talks very well. Well,
1: I don't regret bringing this topic up at all
0: <laughs> But then there's also a second short scene of kind of more graphic sexuality. it's and it's when it's set in the quote unquote future of two thousand and four where a computer programmer is watching, I guess would be the equivalent of like a three d interactive pornographic type film. Uh it's it's about maybe ten to fifteen seconds long. So yeah, that right out the gate, in case anybody listening is like, oh, maybe I'll have my, you
1: know, kids watch this with me. Yeah, it's not necessarily one for kids. Yeah, I, otherwise, uh, particularly with that with that segment, otherwise it is I would say it's very kid friendly. Even the and it's well, it's well, def, it's a '90s R-rated action movie as it should be. So
0: yes, there's those two scenes, but you can't necessarily call it kid friendly. Yeah, you could it's, call it's it not
1: Jackie Chan. You
0: could call it like middle school and up friendly.
1: Yeah, it's it, it, there's, but I mean, like, it's I'm not going to say it's like a team where people are shooting and nobody dies. Yeah, because you're right. There are some. There are some violent sequences or or you know, we don't want to give a spoiler alert of what happens when if and when people are in the same space at the same time when they time travel. But there is some like sci-fi element, kind of violent action uh graphic going on. But for the most part, like even when people are shooting, they're missing Jacques-Claude Van Damme because guess what? He's gonna have to do some splits and do some kicks.
0: Oh yeah. We definitely get uh two splits in this film, including one of the most iconic cinematic splits of all time in my opinion. So yeah, that's when I first saw it. You first saw it around the same time. I just remember being blown away thinking it was such an amazing action film. I I believe I taped it off of TV that same viewing and then I had a that was my VHS copy. I have it that had of it that I'd go back and watch uh
1: from time to time. Can oh, can I ask you a question? What was your first Jean-Claude Van Damme movie because Time Cop might actually be my first Jean-Claude Van Damme movie.
0: Wow. Uh that's a great question cuz the initial answer would for my generation as a mid-80s born, you know, raised in the 90s uh late 80s and 90s. Uh like uh obviously Street Fighter came out mm-hmm. that same year 1994. Uh but Street Fighter still had a PG-13 rating and so at that point I would have been like Seven, just about to turn eight. So even PG-13, I most likely wouldn't have been allowed to watch. And I know I didn't see Street Fighter right when it came out either. And that's why I'm trying to think when my first Van Damme movie would have been. Uh, I, I do get it. Oh, 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 oh. Uh oh, So it was around the same time that either Bloodsport, watching it on TBS, or mm-hmm. The Quest. Because The Quest was PG-13. And by wow. the time I rented that, it was, you know, it was okay. I really didn't have... It still could have been Street Fighter, in all honesty, and me not really liking it that much. So it's it's down to those three, pretty much: Bloodsport, The Quest, or Street Fighter, would have been so, my. So first So for three. me,
1: it is. I'm pretty sure it's Time Cop, but they there, we know that Bloodsport was on TBS a lot, and I have definitely, I had definitely seen segments of it, but never in its entirety. So Time Cop was my entry point for Jean Claude Van Damme, which then. Opened my eyes to let me see what else he's done. Go back and do his, you know. Then I went on like a binge of renting Jean Claude Van Damme movies.
0: That's interesting because obviously you being slightly older than me, that that you were kind of older than when you first started watching Van Damme. Now that does that obviously. This has to do with you growing up. A good chunk of your childhood and adolescence in Japan. Now, was Van Damme just not as popular there? Or was it you were just so busy watching and having access to obviously all the Jackie
1: Chan filmography and other Hong Kong films that you just well, couldn't it, be bothered it, with it, Van Damme? It's funny. I, I Obviously, when you were down here this last week, we watched Operation Condor. Right. Uh, I remember when I was in Japan seeing all these posters, like huge posters that were like half the side of a, of a building. Um, and flags out for Operation Condor. I didn't see it, but that was my first exposure to sort of understanding who Jackie Chan was and how big he was. And then I think about, that was around the summer in Japan. So after that, I went and watched some of his movies at the, I had described the movie library. And then once I figured out who he was and how much I liked him and loved his work, I tried to go see Operation Condor, but it was out of the theater. So basically what i'm saying is there were posters everywhere for Jackie Chan back then and Samuel Hung movies it it was hong kong what hong kong action was in my face thankfully so it was hong kong comedy so i didn't and also david lynch films i don't know and i don't recall jean-claude van damme breaking that mold for me or breaking through the marketing for me, I will say that I also, at that time, uh, Steven Seagal was breaking through in Japan. Like they got a big push for Above the Law. So Nico, there were like, you, would, you wouldn't you would be able to go into a video store or towards a movie theater without seeing Hunt for Red October with Sean Connery, mm. Jean-Claude Van... I'm not sorry, uh, Steven Seagal, Jackie Chan. So I don't recall Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, posters i don't recall any of his films hitting at that time and of course by the i think the years where some of these films were being released i was either in japan uh and then when i was back in america maybe it was he was a little more subdued
0: yeah so that makes sense because for people that may not know gavin returning like permanently in the late 90s right, if I'm not mistaken, like... Yeah, like mid-90s, Mid-to-late yeah. late 90s is when Van Damme was pretty much on the downtrend. Uh, his last... I mean, this would have really been his last big hit because Sudden Death didn't do as well, right? Uh, so this was like the peak of his career in a sense because this came out right before Street Fighter and Street Fighter obviously, you know, didn't do as well as hoped for. So this is like Van Dam's peak and from this point he kind of went downhill. So by the time you were back going to college and stuff... Uh yeah. Yeah, just, I I you, I you would have had like desert heat coming
1: out. <laughs> yes, I completely missed Universal Soldier, completely missed Double Impact, uh Hard Target, completely. I was I, I wasn't I wasn't here in the States for that Sudden Death. Missed that and Time Cop was 94, right? Whoever t- Sudden Death may have been when we were returning to the States. Okay, got it. Yeah, uh, 95, but, so. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, he he wasn't something that I was aware of, but became aware of. And then obviously, like I said, I don't mean to go down this rabbit hole of when I first and when you first started, but Time Cop was essentially my entry point. And once, once I entered, I like sought out his films and, you know, the 80s, his 90s work, and I think went to see some of his films in the theater as
0: well. Ah, so you obviously didn't see his commercials he was doing in Japan at the time for his chewing gum, which is the one he's chewing in the time travel machine. I think it's called like black, black chewing gum or oh, black, something. Or black, black.
1: That was my, that was the brand I loved. I don't know if I was allowed to eat it okay. because it had menthol oh. and thing, nicotine oh. and it like opened up your sinuses. Like I was chewing it all the time. I, then my mother's like, let me have one of these because she was, yeah. she could smell it. And she's like, no, you, you can't have black black gum anymore yeah
0: give it to me I need my fix
1: but uh yeah so we've got on but even if he was on commercials I wouldn't have recognized him like I was looking at like Arnold Schwarzenegger doing cup of noodle commercials yeah (laughs)
0: And that's a, that's a great rabbit hole if you want to go down is like YouTubing American celebrity Japanese commercials because and some of these are wacky and insane. Like I've watched the Black Black chewing gum ones of Van Damme, but the Arnold ones are awesome. And I think part of the whole reason was, oh no, none of my audience back in America is ever going to see this. I'm getting paid a crap ton of cash. I'm going to do this wacky zany commercial for the Japanese market. Well, they didn't know that there was going to be this little thing coming out called the internet, and that. You know, 30 years later, we'd be able to watch these crazy commercials. But anywho, back to the film we are discussing. Now, being that we can't go too deep into the plot, uh, let's start off first with the performances of the actors. Now, we've already mentioned how good... Ron Silver is as Mm -hmm. our villain. And you mentioned it. It's the slight little nuances in his performance. It's not, he is not over the top like uh, the gentleman we were talking about at the beginning in fight to the death. Uh, Here. He, he shows. How. High caliber he is as an actor, but how well he can adapt it to a Hollywood big budget action film. So he still gives a great acting performance, but also turns it on just enough to be that antagonistic villain that we all hate. And he does such a good job at being a prick. But the underappreciated part of his performance is he has to play two different versions of himself. He plays the version of himself in 1994 Before he's been morally corrupted, then he plays the 2004 version of himself, which is the villain of the film. And there's scenes where they interact with each other through some, you know, 90s style green screen, which for the most part is done pretty well. Uh, And so we get two different versions of him, the sheepish kind of dopey, like, do, 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 innocent senator. And then the psychotic uh, presidential candidate that will do anything to... Mm -hmm. Succeed.
1: It, it, what's really enjoyable, we, we've seen a lot of films where actors are playing twins on screen together or doppelgangers or themselves throughout time. Obviously, we uh-huh. see that twice in this film with two different characters. Uh, I almost want to go to the point to say that this is, this Ron Silver's performance is comparable to nick cage's performance in an adaptation when it comes to the subtleties the subtle differences the subtle growth the subtle or growth towards evil maniacal it's not over the top you know i think ron silver actually it looked to me like ron silver lost a little weight when he was playing his older self i could be wrong but it looked like it like there was a slight leaning or that's just how he performed but it just it was edgy. He was an edgier version of himself and what's funny is when you first start watching the film and you're first introduced to the 1994 version of the Ron Silver character he does seem a little evil and maniacal. And then when they're sharing the screen together you're realizing no he was a little weak in 94 In 2004 he's He's hard as steel, but it's so subtle, so different. I just, uh, I can't, I can't rave enough. And clearly if I'm comparing him to a Nick Cage Academy caliber performance, that, that's, that should say how much I appreciated Ron Silver's performance.
0: Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, And then obviously we have Jean-Claude Van Damme and one of his, You know, as I said, right out the gate, obviously, you know, not counting No Retreat, No Surrender, Bloodsport, but Van Damme evolved as an actor throughout all his early ones. He got better and better, whereas other stars maybe didn't so much. So before this, he had just done Nowhere to Run, which I felt was a very good Mm -hmm. uh, acting performance. That's another really underrated one people should check out. Excuse me, way less on the action end, though, which is why I think that's kind of probably the most forgotten of the uh, original, like Hollywood, Van Dam releases, but uh, a great acting performance. And then we had Hard Target, right? Uh, which was technically the one before this. Which I, you know, love his performance in that. But this was one of maybe the first one where it's that big, big budget Hollywood picture, and we get a big, big budget Hollywood picture performance from Van Dam. Now, is it Academy Award worthy? Absolutely not. But it is solid. He does a good job of playing the two different Van Dams. Not uh, nowhere near in comparison to Ron Silver's... uh, adaptation of the character from 94 to 2004 but enough of a change because we see how grizzled and hardcore the 2004 version of Van Damme is after losing his wife and stuff and just obviously devoting himself to his job but even the, the, the cat and mouse banter between Senator McComb and Agent Walker uh is great and Van Dam does a uh fantastic hollywood leading man performance right Mm -hmm. he has his one-liners he has his charm he has his suaveness and that machismo element but it doesn't go over the top it doesn't become a vanity project either yes we have the obligatory shirtless van damme fight sequence but it makes sense he was like asleep and then is attacked but other than that he's you know, stays fully clothed the whole time. We don't get his shirt getting ripped off in the finale, right? You know, it's... Uh... Yeah, no,
1: I I think oh, the only... Yes, it's just when he's attacked sleepless. Of course, he's also wearing boxer shorts, which gives him ample space to do his... Uh, the greatest cinematic splits of all time. Right.
0: And obviously, yeah, there's the lovemaking scene at the beginning where he doesn't have a shirt on. But, well, you know, uh,
1: So what is interesting about Van Dam is you might be able to argue that he has... Performed as twins or himself in two places at the same time. In, am I right in saying four films? So let's go over them Double Impact, mm-hmm. Time Cop. Yes.
0: uh Then we've got Maximum Risk. Yes. And The Replicant. Yes. But I believe in, was he like a clone in one of the later Universal Soldier ones? Did they have multiple versions of him? I don't I think so.
1: Like I, I, I feel like that would been regeneration,
0: could've... but I don't think they did.
1: Yeah, I always I always kind of wanted him to be in Expendables 3 as the twin coming back for revenge.
0: <laughs> or, but. remember, he had mentioned, I think, coming back as, like, a good twin for Expendables yes. 3, but I'd be down. But, yeah, so he, he likes to play double versions of himself, but he was pretty good at it. Now, and in Maximum Risk, they don't ever interact with each other. Uh, and in this one, obviously, they don't really interact with each other either. But that being said... Uh, You know, so the performances are all good. Mia Sarah is great. Bruce McGill, as I said, is fantastic as his boss. Uh, So in this final part of the episode, let's talk about the action. A lot of action throughout this film. Enough, uh, not too much to where it takes you out of the narrative or it becomes distracting, but the perfect amount. And I'd say some of like the classic 90s Hollywood action pictures, maybe I want even a little more, action set pieces out of them. This one, we have big extravagant ones. We have smaller, shorter ones, but they're sprinkled throughout. So you never have to go too long without getting your action fix. And there's a great job of implementing fight scenes within the action. So I wouldn't say there's kind of what you might call one straight martial arts sequence. And that would be when he's attacked in his sleep in the apartment. But otherwise, Mm -hmm. the martial arts are thrown in there. So it'll be like a shootout scene. Then he takes one guy out you know with hand to hand combat and then back to shooting so they do a, a it's like a seamless flow of the action whether it's shootouts explosions fist fights kicks and that's another thing we get to see van dam utilizing his amazing kicking abilities but it's not distracting it's not out of place it's just like okay he's a talented martial artist i mean he is in law enforcement and probably just happens to maybe have a martial arts background but you don't get any slow motion helicopter kicks, but you get some very fast, uh, or like roundhouse kicks. You do get, uh, one or two like spinning hook kicks or spinning wheel kicks. Yes. There's a scene where he jumps down to the splits to like duck, uh, an attack. And we have the amazing counter split scene when, uh, he jumps
1: up in the air to not get electrocuted. I mean, the, the, you know, the, it's, it's always impressive to see his fast kicks, but, what I really appreciated about this because I think in many ways while the American public and the world of Hollywood viewing public were aware of Jean-Claude Van Damme, they were aware of him maybe as a martial artist, maybe as an action star. In In this film, obviously we did t- talk about his dramatic acting, but what, what we get is an opportunity to showcase his physicality and just how mesmerizing he can be on film and, and specifically the early mugging scene where the man is running in the in the in the mall and steals the the old lady's purse and he runs into Jean Claude Van Damme holding his leg there. That is what he's able to do in that long take is extremely impressive. Now, of course, maybe they, they do a couple of camera angles there, like what does it say? And the guys like Wolverine between the lines, yeah, you know. But just holding it there, I think, is a great way to introduce your your non martial art friends to a martial arts movie. This is a, this is a I'm going to say it. this is a gateway film for me. It was a gateway film into Jean Claude Van Damme, but this is a gateway film into martial art films as well it's 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 teased throughout. And even having James Lew in the film, which I'm sure we're going to talk about that fight sequence in a second in, in The Apartment, it 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 teases us into that world and then you're going to like it and you're going to explore a little further and deeper.
0: Excellent. Yeah. And with a director like Peter Himes, with all the Hollywood experience, you're getting the, the fight scene shot in the same way that those 90s action films were. For example, as I said, you know, Con Air, The Rock, uh, any of those bad boys or something like that. But you're having a high-caliber martial artist like Van Damme performance, so you're going to adapt the fight scenes to have a little bit more of his, you know, fluidity and kicking style. Now, I tried to look up who the fight choreographer was. It wasn't really listed anywhere. We do have both Stephen Lambert in there who had worked with Van Damme or Mm -hmm. would work with him again on the quest. And, you know, as a Hollywood stuntman, actor, fight choreographer, he may have had some part in it. You have James Liu in there. And if I had to guess, you know, he probably played a significant part, at least in his fight scene. So yeah, the main martial arts sequence is when Van Damme is attacked in his apartment by Senator McComb's henchmen uh, and he's asleep and he's awoken by his automated kind of Siri type thing. Like what we would now, not Siri, but Alexa, right? Like the Alexa technology. That's one of the things they get right. By the way, real quick side note, the aesthetics of 2004's modern technology, obviously, they were a little off on the way cars would look and apartments would look, but, you know, it is what <laughs> they, it is. A,
1: a little bit. A little so they, bit. I, I did write a note about the car sequence where they're, like, driving in the car in 2000, uh, 2004. Uh-huh. Like, you can tell the camera's following the car, but there's so many... Yeah. With all due respect, hoopties in the background Yeah, and just like broken down cars in Washington, D.C. Or not broken down, but like older cars that by that point would be pure classics. You'll, you'll get what we're talking about when you watch the movie. But anyway, but so, I, I, I will say if uh, Elon Musk got any inspiration from some of the car designs, I would not be surprised because there is a hint of. I would know, have to disagree. Well, uh, that front, I'm talking about the. The Tesla's truck. No,
0: man, these things look like something out of a post-apocalyptic George Miller film, just like cleaned up a little bit. But anywho, back to the fight scene. So, uh, yeah, that's the one that we get is just straight hand-to-hand combat. These assassins are trying to take him out. Uh, They're pretty much trying to use like a taser, because I think the whole idea was to maybe send him a message more so in that one. So that's hence why there's no guns. But he has an extended kind of knife fight sequence with James Liu. yes. I mean, Van Damme wasn't one suited necessarily for knife or stick fighting. He actually does, coincidentally enough, do some stick fighting in his kind of uh, opening fight sequence of 2004. Uh, well, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. But in this sequence, yes, there's some knife fighting. And James Liu is very dynamic and great. Van yes. Damme comes off a little more so. Like, at one point, you're sort of like, he's not even moving. But... You know, we get to see James Lou throw some kicks and Van Damme throw some kicks at him. And it it, it works. Like, yes, in retrospect, you know, there, there could have been made some differences made, but who knows? Maybe it was sort of like, hey, this is the idea. And Van Damme's like, well, I do not do that. And it's like, all right, well, let's just try to film it the best we can. But, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's it could have very well been that, right?
1: Like, uh, but that's, that's, that sounds like you're uh, any breakdown of a Jeff Pruitt choreographed <laughs> film. This is the idea. All right, well, I, I can't do that. Great, we'll do it anyway. Yeah, let's figure it out. So, yeah, uh, and we should mention the one I was talking
0: about with the stick fighting. There was a fight scene in the 1930s when, you know, slight spoiler alert, Agent Walker goes back in time to bust somebody, and that's a cool, fun little one, too. That's one where he drops down in the splits. and Yes. Uh, but then throughout the other action sequences, even during some of the shootouts and stuff, once again, maybe he's out of bullets and he's got to disarm a guy. So we get some great, like, you know, bone breaking. We get some great kicks. The the action should satisfy martial arts fans and Van Damme fans. You know, that maybe they're obviously gonna want a little bit more in terms of the choreography and so forth, but the choreography is good. Excuse me, choreography is good and solid, and the fight scenes are sprinkled throughout. They're hard hitting, good punches, good throws, good kicks, good stunt work. Windows are broken, people go flying through doors, it's hard hitting. And the stun- it's kinda the like stunt
1: doubling is also good. You can tell. Yeah. That the uh Jean-Claude Van Damme stunt stunt person who's doing a lot of jumps and falls does a fantastic job these these are not these are not easy falls to sell right
0: uh i forgot what i was saying uh but yeah it's like so you mentioned before it's definitely a good gateway film you know you can fans of quote unquote, the martial arts genre can enjoy it but then maybe people that don't really know van damme or his martial arts films can also enjoy it and then decide from there hey you know maybe i want to uh explore this some more but yeah so that's uh so overall fights and stunts are done very well the the shooting the explosions the jumping out windows being thrown through windows uh the time travel the special effects are not the worst by any means it was obviously a big budget hollywood picture at that time they are slightly dated at some points and as we said some of the green screen stuff where you've got the same actor playing two different roles in the same shot uh come off good others you know it's a little as they get closer to each other it's a little you know glitchy not like they'd be able to do today uh the time travel technology is kind of just a warped effect that uh still holds up but you know nowadays they'd probably make it a little bit stronger uh and yes there is uh with so not to spoil anything but in the finale there's a a big bit of early cgi which uh definitely comes off as hokey but once again, at that time, it wouldn't have been so hokey, and that's just the way cinema works.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, um, obviously, with the limited special effects, I really appreciated where they, when they did opt to spend a little money on the time travel, where they went to. Obviously, they went to the Civil War, they went to the Great Depression, or mm-hmm. the the Great Crash the pre-depression, yeah, nineteen twenty-eight. I'm guessing if I remember. No, I think it's, crash?
0: it's post-crash. That's why I remember everyone's like killing themselves. Yeah, I so think it's around they, that. Yeah. yeah,
1: but it's it's a uh, they chose some fun period pieces to go to and have some modern action items right uh, imposed upon the Confederate Army or imposed upon uh, the bodyguards of of uh, the stock. Broker. Yeah, and great set design
0: and costume design as well. When Isn't it comes it? Yeah. to all the that time travel uh, in the the real real past, but yeah, overall we've pretty much covered most of the main details. We got to wrap it up here, but if you enjoy '90s action science fiction films, you're gonna have a really good time with this one. It's played very straight, straightforward action drama thriller. Uh, the only, like, comedy would be the the slight one-liners, but otherwise, you know, it's played very straightforward. No comedy in this one. You get great performances from everyone. Van, one of Van Damme's strongest performances of his early Hollywood run, but also you have the fantastic Ron Silver in there, giving you a classic 90s villain. And, I, you know, it's too bad we didn't get to really see him do more roles like this, but... If this was his one and done, it's a pretty good one to have.
1: Very good one to have. It's it's uh it does speak to just his again, his range.
0: And he would play a similar role in uh Jeff Speakman film, uh the next yeah. I think it was the next year, Deadly Outbreak, or maybe it was two years later. Very yeah. similar and probably the best part of that movie.
1: Yes. That in the locker room scene. Yeah
0: okay so uh any final closing thoughts on time cop uh
1: it watching this film made me feel like i was stepping i obviously streaming it on tubi made me feel like i was stepping into a movie theater again
0: yeah and the
1: ac was pumping and i had a, a big box of popcorn oh perfect it, it, it just it took me back to
0: that time and that's exactly right. You nailed it. This is the kind of movie you used to love to get the chance to go see in theaters. Like, because for me, as I've mentioned, going to the movies was the biggest treat. We didn't get to go a lot, even, but anytime we did, oh boy. And I, I would never even get any popcorn. It was just going to the movies, getting to buy our tickets, finding our seat, you know, before you picked your seats in advance, and just the lights dimming and being, this is a movie theater action Mm -hmm. spectacle this is a kind of one that you go see on the big screen if you get the chance so uh final bit language corner i think we accidentally skipped it last week but uh for this time uh i was thinking i would just teach us the the basic premise of how to say time right like time cop so uh the the word so once again, as people that have studied Mandarin know, sh has sh s h i has like a hundred different meanings. So one of those rising tone sh is the concept of time. So like shama shurho, you know, like when. Uh, so that's like shurho. But for the actual like concept of time or the word of time would be shitian, so jian. so J I A N so shi jian. jian
1: yeah nice j in, in Japanese it's jikan okay so shi jian there we go all right yeah
0: so that's like how you like are literally talking about like time as a noun pretty much yeah uh so that you know shi, as I said is going to be uh she. kind of associated with words based around time, but shi tian. Perfect. I like nice. it, my man. Hope you have a good week. Yes, yes. I'm uh, heading up to the mountains back where we used to live uh, during the pandemic for those two years uh, for Father's Day. So I'll be seeing my stepdad and my mom and uh, my sisters and my
1: brother-in-laws and uh, all sorts of folks. Well, I'm sure they'll be happy to see you. I hope you guys have a great time. Okay,
0: my man. Uh, and I'll be seeing you sooner rather than later
1: that's right that's right
0: all righty peace why yeah why why jessica we'll see that works through extra good for me since my partner's name's jessica i'm gonna i'm gonna play that scene for her <laughs> okay all right
1: adios bye